This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Jameis Lafreniere. Jameis was one of the best players ever to play hockey at Babson College. He spent the last 16 years selling technology at Dell EMC. He's also the founder and president of Sophie's Hope, a nonprofit organization dedicated to, cu- to curing glycogen storage disease. Here he is, Jameis Lafreniere. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? What's going on, JR? I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Psyched to have. Today, we got Jameis Lafreniere. Jameis and I go way, way, way back to like might hockey. So I'm, I'm super excited to catch up up with him. And, and Jameis, I know you've listened to a few a few episodes. So you know um, our audience is, is really, you know, new sellers um, and, and people considering kind of a career shift into sales, mainly out of like college sports or professional sports. Um, and that's our goal, right? To help elite athletes become elite sales professionals. Um, and all, all our guests are, are like you, former athletes that have, that have had a ton of success in sales. So we start with the, with, with your sports career, then we get into the transition and then we talk, we talk sales. So, um, Love it. the, the first question, I'm, I'm excited to hear your answer to this. It's very broad, but that's by design. Yeah. If I ask you what your favorite memory of, of playing sports is, Where's your mind wander off to? Ah, oh, geez, favorite memory. I, I think for me, Jr. And, and I'm sure other people feel this way. It's it's when there was no pressure, right? And, and you were having fun, and you you know you were playing with kids you grew up with, right? So like immediately, like I mean, of course, I loved playing and competing at Babs and Lawrence, you know, Minuteman Flames. But I think for me, those early years of you know Tribro, right? Tribro might a. My dad was the coach, right? That's the first time I, I heard the question, are your legs broken, right? Like laying on the ice. I don't think I ever laid on the ice ever again. Um, but I think it was those early years. No, in other things like pickup hockey, right? No referees, just your buddies out there playing. And I think I was thinking about like going back, what is that like that pinnacle ultimate time? And it was, you know, we used to do sleepovers at Naven Rink, right? Like how lucky again, going back to West Tuttle, right? Like you forget how lucky we were to have free ice time, right? Like we didn't have a ton of money growing up, but like I never, I was never short on ice time. So I think for me, my, it's always hockey, right? I played a lot of different sports, but hockey is always that thing I go back to. And I think, you know, anytime you could get free ice time, whether it was Navin, uh, Newland Sports Center, you throw the sticks in the middle and play. So I think, I think that's where I go, and it's sad to see the shift these days where Tribro might not exist anymore in some of these town youth programs. So, but that's it for me, man. Playing with all my buddies growing up, and you know that was the best. I I, I see my my nephews, my brother's kids now are going through it, and I you know I see the clips of them like playing knee hockey in the hotels on the, at tournaments, and I'm like, dude, that is what it's all about. Like that is that that's is, it. It's the best. It really is. Like. 
like those trips were amazing. And I, I look back like going to Lake Placid and I see my, my nephews and people doing it. And I'm like, and then I'll see a clip of them playing mini hockey in the hotel. And I'm like, yeah, like for as fun as all those tournaments were, it was like that time away from the, the ice playing mini hockey, getting bloodied, you know, playing full contact knee hockey in the basement. So, um, so yeah, that's it for me, man. I love it. And I, I, I love, I think, it seems like the youth today, we kind of lose that, you know, no referee type sports. And I, it's tough. Like I go around the neighborhood, you don't see the kids out front playing wiffle ball or street hockey anymore. And I, I don't know what's changed, but certainly for me, that's the best. It is. So. It is. So I, I didn't know this, but Tom told me, so you won two, two, oh two time hockey night in Boston. Biggest surprise, biggest surprise. I don't know how you can be a big surprise a second time. How did, how did that happen? Well, I, th I still surprise people, Jr. So, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm the biggest surprise, you know. Oh, you were the rep of the year. You know, that's a big surprise or something. But I, I again, and, and Sully didn't believe me on this, but, like, I always felt like the underdog. I always felt underappreciated. I always felt – I always had a chip on my shoulder. I feel like I always played angry. I work angry. Like, there's always something I'm out there to prove. And I think with Hockey Night in Boston, right, you remember, it was all politics. It was like – the guys on the cover of the magazine had the big names. They were drafted. But, you know, my first year, I transitioned from Algonquin Regional High School hockey. You know, shit, right? I played against your dad at Marlboro High. Loved every minute of it. Putting up, you know, a couple goals a game to Lawrence Academy where, I mean, I was playing with Tony Vos and these guys that were, it was like playing with men. So that transition was difficult. But from a Hockey Night in Boston perspective, I was nobody. They didn't know who I was. I actually had to play in the tryout tournament. Like they, they <laughs> like I remember the guy coming to my house trying to pitch me on it. My parents had no idea what they were to you know he was talking about. And you play in that tryout tournament, light it up, and then you make the hockey night in Boston team. And I was young, and it was all these you know older kids committed to BC, BU, Northeastern, and I was small too, man. I mean, I still am, but like I was really undersized, and. Uh, yeah, my stat sheet didn't look great from that first year. I think I had a, you know, start on the fourth line, end up on the power play and first line and always scoring goals. And uh, that first year was like, yeah, it made sense, right? You know, big surprise, great. Going in that second year and it's still a joke, man. Sully, the guys at Babson used to joke about it with me, but it's like surprise again, right? I, I ended up leading Hockey Night in Boston in goals, like, and in, in right up there in points. And these are guys all going to BC, BU, wherever. And, you know, here it was at the awards ceremony. I, I made the Team Massachusetts team. We we dummy Team Russia. We had this incredible team. And then I get to go to the awards ceremony and they're announcing biggest surprise. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, totally embarrassing. So, Sully knows. I, I kept one of the trophies, not two of them, because it's just like I find it funny. And, again, it's that whole underdog mentality that I just keep. But, like, yeah, surprise. Here you go. So, it was. it's a funny one. And uh, it's a good laugh. So, But I did it. Those like you talked about the experience of like public school to, to prep school. I yeah. went through it too. Right. But like, those are the types of things that like f foundationally impact you forever. Right. Like that, mm -hmm. you know, you, 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 you get comfortable being uncomfortable, which is like such an important trait that I think people appreciate about athletics in general. You know, when I was leaving Algonquin, I remember the athletic director pulled me into his office and he said, 
are you sure you want to do this? Right? Like, are you sure you're good enough to go? And I'm like, and he's like, don't you like being a big fish in a small pond? If you go to Lawrence, you're going to be a small fish in a big pond. And that stuck with me forever. Um, and I think it's the wrong mentality, right? You always want to challenge yourself. And I, I also look at it too, like, you know, you got to play for coach Jacobs, right? Who for me, was like the biggest i mean he was my coach for 10 years the greatest hockey coach i ever had so i also look at that and i'm like man i wish i made that decision you know to go to cushing as opposed to lawrence i mean it all worked out fine but you realize quickly how important positivity and good coaching can be because negativity can bring teams down players down and i think you know who who i played for at lawrence but um <laughs> But it's a it's a stark contrast. So yeah. So but the, but it is. It's such a transition. That first year at Lawrence was brutal. I, I was not. I was barely playing. Yeah. Like and, and I made. I, I said to myself, like, did I make the wrong decision? Like I could go back to Algonquin and score. I could set the record for points. I could be a uh, up on the banners. But I glad I stuck it out. And like I owe a lot of everything in my career. And we'll go through it. Is really like hockey related. Yeah. Like without it, I, I really had no prayer. I had no prayer of going to prep school. I had no prayer of going to Babson. I had, I wouldn't have been at EMC. So yeah. it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and I didn't play for your coach at Lawrence, but he did rip my helmet off from the bench my, my senior year. So I do, I do, I get, <laughs> I remember. But again, I, you know, the point of that, right, is like you see a coach like a Jacobs and, and why he's been so successful. And it's like you see what it's like to instill confidence and you can kind of relate it to even like we'll talk about leadership and sales, but it's the same thing, right? Like when you're scared or intimidated of a coach or a leader, it's just like you're not going to get the best out of a player or a person. So, yeah. So anyways. Totally. So, so went on to Babo, um, unbelievable school, unbelievable hockey program. Um, how do you, how do you think you're, you're, and I'm going there tomorrow. How, how do you think oh, your, yes. your Babs and teammates would, would talk about you from your playing days, Jameis? Oh, well, I think playing days, right. You know, I, I think they would say, and if, you know, I was a reliable player, good teammate, um, scored a lot of big goals, like cared a lot, you know, sometimes probably cared a little too much and i think listening to john kaplan's thing it was funny listening to him talk about like what his teammates would say about him and like it it actually forced me to reflect a little bit on like my like my four years of babson and i also would say like i was immature too like i wish i wish i knew what i knew now to be kind of more mature at the time and put the work in and like focus a little bit more, but you're in college, you're having fun. Um, so I, you know, taking a lot of dumb penalties, Sully knows that. Um, but yeah, I think they'd say reliable, stepped up at the right moment, but I definitely look back and think there were, were moments of immaturity that I wish I could go back and fix. Yeah. Um, but what are you going to do? Yeah. 100%. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know anything about that. No, no, no. I've always been very, very dialed in and well put together. <laughs> hey, sometimes it takes us a little longer right? <laughs> exactly um yeah. what like favorite teammates like who who are you calling out and why favorite teammates like for me it's i could list probably like 50 or just one so i think for me like sully right you know him really well i think at babson he was a three-time captain like that's ridiculous that so ridiculous. i mean he was he was a lead by example guy he took no crap um if he went in the puck, you know, if he went in the corner for a puck, like I could stand back. I knew he was going to get it, whether there were three guys on him, one guy on him, 
Um, and just to be a three-time captain, I think he was an All-American sophomore year. He was he was the he was by far the best teammate leader uh, from a hockey perspective. Just awesome. That's unreal. I did not know he was a three-time captain. We're gonna get that higher go. pump, going, baby. That boy. Uh, pump it up, man. He deserves it. Kid was a stud. He's a he's a three time captain for Merchants of Change podcast too. So <laughs> well, I knew you weren't running the tech part of this job. So yeah, <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, I, he also got an email from me today because I couldn't find the link. So he's used to kind of. Yeah, um, what what kind of student were you at Babson? I know you lit lit it up on the ice, Jameis, but how'd you do in the classroom? Uh, I didn't belong there, to be honest with you. Like totally mediocre. Felt out of place that freshman year. Uh, like struggle was a struggle for all of us. And that's the thing, like the hot, we were different. The hockey guys were different. We, we probably didn't have the grades to get in there. So like, thankful again, thankful for, actually, I shouldn't say probably, I absolutely wouldn't have got in there. Um, I also just didn't have, my parents weren't in business. Right. So like, I didn't even know what business was like, what is business school? Right. And you go into Babson that first year, you have to take like, you know, I'm talking to my buddies at other schools, they're having a blast. Like you have to take six classes that freshman year. And it was like, we, were, we had classes at 8 a.m. It was like, we had to start a business freshman year. So like, I was overwhelmed. I know a lot of the hockey guys were, right? And there were also a lot of kids that come into Babson that like, they already have their life figured out, right? They're not coming there to play a sport. They're coming there because they've already started a business or their dad runs a global manufacturing business that they're going to take it, take over. So I think there was a lot of like, just not feeling like it was like, I didn't know if I could do it, but I will say I gravitated towards those business classes. I stunk at liberal arts. Like I'm very factual. I want to like, you know, formulas, like creative writing and that so i'm thankful i didn't end up at one of those nescap schools or one of those uh because the business i definitely gravitated towards those business classes um and like most of us athletes i think we all either majored or, or focused in entrepreneurship or marketing yeah. right because i was not an accountant or a finance but i think to answer that i mean school-wise I did what I had to do to never be on anyone's radar, never risk not being able to play hockey, but I did not light the world on fire from a, a grades perspective. I just kind of made sure I could play. And and there's a funny story too about my first interview we can get to at EMC, maybe when we talk about it, but about my GPA. So yeah, so we'll, we can get into that. But no, totally mediocre, but like like anything, you kind of, you know what's next. Like you, you want to get a degree. I wanted to keep playing hockey. I figured if I got a degree from Babson, like that meant a lot and I go from there, so. Yeah, but again, I can totally relate uh, going from Cushing to Holy Cross. Uh, Cushing's a great school, uh, but you know, I definitely struggled academically and was like you surrounded by a lot of legacy kids who were like their 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 desks on wall street were already waiting for them and that was not yeah. something i wanted to go down um no i mean there were like still like there were ferraris in the drop parking lot kids were you know because kids came over internationally yeah. from you know some of these countries and i guess i look at it and i'm like i'm thankful that they came because they probably paid for a lot of us to go there right and, and the financial aid but it was uh it was intimidating um, until you started to find your classes and your group. But that first year when you're just, you're slammed with 
economics, accounting. I mean, I didn't know what a balance sheet was. I can barely do one now, but like, yeah. But at least I was able to say, hey, numbers wasn't my thing pretty quick. Yeah, so. 100%. So, so you're, you're, you're at Babson, going to the rank, you know, cranking through classes, and probably like me, just dreaming of selling, of selling data storage, right? Like, yes. <laughs> what, how, did, how did you like actually like find your way into sales, Jameis? I think like I've seen either you posted or whatever, like I fell into it and no doubt about it, nothing negative about it. But like I had, I didn't have a clue. I, I grew up in central mass. I didn't even know what EMC was. I remember seeing the, the sticker on the helmets of the Worcester Ice Cats yeah. and being like, what the heck? Why do they have like that Albert Einstein? I thought it was the E equals MC squared. I'm like, this is weird. So I never, I still, I had no clue what data storage was i didn't know what a data center was like in sales like i think a lot of us right a lot of athletes obviously but like i shouldn't even say like the hockey guys if i look at it i think all of us like at least like the 10 that i was close with are all in sales and all successful at it and this is you know 95 percent of the rest of babson went into wall street finance second you know uh, or one of the big big five um, so I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I painted houses in the summer. My dad was a painter. So like I, I was really stressed out that I didn't have a resume. I didn't have an internship. Like all these other kids were working at PWC or, or Deloitte or doing like internships. Um, so I had nothing figured out and late in my senior year, cause I had to make money, right? My parents, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't have a big house to come back to. I was renting an apartment after college. And I had a ton of student loans. So like, I just needed to get a job. And so I remember there were two companies I looked at. It just, and I don't know what device we used back then. I barely could use a computer, but like, so I don't, it wasn't Craigslist. I don't know what you looked at to find jobs. Monster, I, I don't know. But it was John Hancock as a financial advisor, which I don't know what the heck I was thinking, but it said sales. So I was like, maybe I can do that. Or EMC, and the only reason I knew about EMC was a, a buddy of mine on my team, Johnny Kim, one of the a great player. His girlfriend at the time, now wife, was in inside sales at EMC, um, and I'm like, I should try it. I, I don't know what that means, like, and to do it, but she helped me get an interview, and then Coach Rice um, called the guy Kevin Concanon, yep. who was already out in the field selling for EMC. Great guy, and I remember he came to a practice just to say hi. And that kind of made me, gave me the confidence. And he was like, you know, go for it, do it. And I'm sure he helped through the process, but, but that was it. Like, and I remember I had two interviews on the same day. I had John Hancock and I had, um, I had the EMC one. I think John Hancock was in Westboro, like research drive. And then I had to go to Hopkinton for EMC. My resume was a joke. I mean, landscaping, painting. I made up a couple things. I did some door-to-door -door sales. I was a promotions guy. Like, <laughs> and it was just so. I went to John Hancock, and I'll never forget. The guy goes, "Are you comfortable at Christmas parties asking your family to invest with you know? Because you're just the, I'm just the sales guy for like the smart financial advisor, right? I'm not making like it was. And I said to him, no. I'm not, like, I'm not going to ruin a Christmas party, like trying to get people to invest with you. So I left there without even like, I just kind of like, that was it. I said, like, we both kind of parted ways, but I had left my only printed resume at John Hancock. 
so when I showed up at EMC, and this is a true story, and you know Mike Brooks, right? Yeah, of course. And I and I'm still at EMC technically, Dell, right? But he was like, he tortured me in my interview, right? He was like, "Where's your resume?" And I go, "Well, I emailed it to you, right?" And I barely know how to use email, but I know I sent it to you. And he's like, "What is like? What is wrong with you? Like, do you do you have any idea what you're doing?" And I just didn't. I didn't have a, a coach or a mentor. I didn't really know. Nobody prepped me for interviewing. I showed up there and thankfully, you know, and he to this day still makes fun, like says, I can't believe you showed up without a resume, but he was, he was going to pass on me. Right. And he'll to tell you this day, Meg Cotter, who I'm still dear friends with to this day, great, incredible salesperson, just incredible person. And there was a kid, a guy, Kyle Frank, that were both like, I guess, um, kind of sales leaders. They both pushed for me to get another interview and that's when I met Jimmy Mack. So I, I got through it and I just like Jimmy Mack is like, I mean, that interview, like that just brought flooded back the memories. But like when I met with him, I was like, oh my God, I found it. Like he, we talked hockey for an hour. He was like a real human being. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what sales is. I don't know what EMC is. I want to work for this guy. And like, look at him. Like he was like, I mean, he's, he's crushing it. His hair's all flying up in the air. He's talking to me about kick it and, you know, let's go. And it's a lottery ticket. You know, here's your lottery ticket. Do you, you know, you ready to go? And I'm like, this is it. So, <laughs> so yeah, so long way, long winded, but I, I had no plan, no path. Nobody was telling me what to do. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I got a little fortunate. And so I, I always thank Meg and Kyle for kind of pushing. And I, I still give Brooksy crap to this day because he just couldn't believe it. But he also said to me, why is your GPA, GPA so low? Because stupidly, I put my like 2.8 GPA on my resume. <laughs> and he was, and I said to him, I said, because I went to Babson and I played hockey, right? Like, I mean, it's a hard school. Yeah. And it wasn't an excuse. I don't make excuses, but it was the reality. Yeah. I'm like, you know, so. He, he was like, he kind of just stepped back and I was like, all right, like, that's why. Yeah. So. Knowing Brooksy now, you probably wish you asked him what his GPA was. <laughs> well, so I, and I said to him, you know, I kind of, I think I said, well, you went to UMass Boston and didn't play a sport, right? <laughs> so it's a little different, right? So, yeah. Oh, man. But he was not, like, he's one of those guys I look at, like, early on in the sales career. He was awesome, yeah. too. Yeah, I Still mean is. You name you name some unreal pros like you know Kevin. I worked with Kevin at Turbo. He, yeah, he's unbelievable. Um, Just like the best Family Guy, great guy. Yep, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and stud Babson hockey player. That's Canada right. Was. Beavers. Um, so I guess like I'm, I'm curious. I, I have my own answer to this, but like, what was what was the biggest struggle in that transition? So you get the job. Um, you know what, what what was the hardest part when you made that transition? Learning what, I mean, I remember that first day on the floor. So there was 18 of us started together. So I, I finally get the job offer. They asked me to start June 5th. I'm graduating like May 28th. I had all these grand plans of like traveling and doing this, but I needed money. Like I just, I didn't, I couldn't take out any more loans. So I'm like, so I started with probably 16 other people. Most of them are actually successful in sales still somewhere. Um, I don't know. I might be the only surviving member of that class. But anyways, it, it was competitive, but that was good, right? Like we were all coming in this together. It felt like we were on a team. Um, and then like quickly, like EMC went from maybe 30 inside sales rep with like no structure, right? Jimmy Mack was building this, Ed Philippine. They were trying to figure this thing out. Yep. 
how do you bring inside? Like it was incredible. What what they did to transform it and like change the game was incredible. But that first few months was um, again like I didn't have a computer. I didn't. I I at, at Babson they gave us a, an IBM ThinkPad. And I didn't realize it, but when I graduated, they said, like, if you want to keep it, it's $2,000. And I was like, well, I, so for, I had the stretch of no computer. I got the EMC. I got my shiny laptop. I thought I was the coolest kid in town. And, <laughs> you know, I had my laptop bag to, to do it. But it was hard. I, I think it was good to go in with the group because we were all struggling to learn. Like, I mean, back then it was like, what's iSCSI? What is IP? Like, I couldn't. It was kind of like how I felt at Babs in that first year where I'm like, I just don't like, doesn't make sense to me. Like, what is, I need to hold it. Like, wh what does this mean? Like, how are things connected? And they did an incredible job training people. Like it was hard, but like you're coming out of college, you're used to the tests. Yeah. So like we were getting tested. I was crushing like the tests because I was good at like studying and memorizing. So like, you know, if, if, if I had to fail a test and do it, they would, I mean, in, in ace a test. So it was good, great coaching, great leadership there and like trying to figure it out, but it was a difficult transition. And like the BDR role, again, this is before LinkedIn and right. stuff. So like, yeah, I, you would get a territory, you had to make 400 dials, you had to get 20 appointments for your field reps and you had to, um, there was talk time limits. And it was like, so I think I, I said this to Sully, like I wasn't a good BDR. I was like an okay, just like I was at a Babson student. Like I was okay, like, but I needed money. I couldn't, I, I like, I wasn't going to quit. And I saw what the ISRs were making and I, I could see, we, we shared the same floor. So when I'd see what ISR, I'm like, that's easier than what I'm doing. And I'm better at like that talking. Like I'm not a churn and burn guy. Like I, I, I can build a relationship. I'm trustworthy. Like all those, I'm smart enough to like be able to help customers. But so I always said, like, I just had to, I just had to get through that BDR phase and like suck it up. I mean, I don't think anybody, I mean, God bless you. If you think like, it's fun, like being a BDR and making cold calls, but like you're doing it to move on in your career. And you'll also learn like that skill doesn't go away. Like if, if people think like cold calling or crafting a creative email are dead, like that's foolish. Like, I, I mean, like I do it. So we'll talk more later about like the nonprofit work. I, those skills I learned in EMC inside sales, cold calling and just pinging the same people I use consistently in that role too. So yeah, it's uh, it was a tough transition, but you just, for me, it was, I know I can be successful in role number two. Yeah. So I just got to survive role number one. Um, Sully will tell you, I was never the leader on the floor as a BDR. But I always, I was never at the bottom. I was like, I got to be in the middle. But then when I became an ISR, I was always up at the top, right? Yeah. And, and same with now as a field rep. So yeah, it's that's it. It's honestly though, it's it's a it's a rite of passage. Like it's like carrying the water bottles your freshman year. Like yeah, even if you're a great player, like you still you got to earn the right to get into that kind of net like role two, like you called it. I and. Dude, I'm a, I, you know, I, I run a company now. There is not a, a, a day that goes by where I am not using a skill that I learned in my first job 
as a, you know, we didn't call it BDR back then. Shep had some crazy name. Well, we said SA. We were SA. Yes. Sales Associates. Exactly. I don't know what Shep. And I will, Shep is, I would throw him in there as like one of the most incredible mentors and leaders like in the technology space. Totally. But yeah. Totally. And him and him and guys like him and Jimmy Mack, they inspire young people like us to get to where we are today. And like the idea of like, yeah, cold calling sucks, prospecting sucks, but it's so it's such an important muscle to build so that you can take advantage of those other soft skills you have when you go and carry a quota in a territory, right? And I Yeah, I mean for for me it was like, tell me what I have to do. Is it four hundred dials? Done. Done. Like why would I miss that? Right. That that's just an effort thing. Right. Like, so so like I could never figure it out when someone would be on the floor and like because I, I stepped into like a uh, sales associate leader, whatever, where you just, yeah. And I'd be like, how do you have 300 dials? Like, I don't really like, like, that's just a metric that we always have to hit. You don't even have to be good at it. Like, I mean, you could fake it for all I, you know, like, just like, so like, that's it. Like, if there are metrics you got to hit, like, you just do it. Right. Like, unless you don't want to do the job. Right. I mean, like, like be thankful, I think in sales that we have metrics, right? Totally. Like, I would struggle in another career where it was ambiguous. Like, I, I want to know, like, my job now is revenue. Yes. I produce revenue. And I can tell you exactly how much, how much margin. And if anybody tried to tell me I wasn't doing a good job, I can show you why you're wrong. Right. right? And so that's where, like, I just sales is just the ultimate um, role. And I know we went off topic a little bit there. But, yeah. No, it's, 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 this is absolutely. A lot of this is exactly what, you know, our audience needs to hear. And, like, to your point. There's very few careers out there where there's a scoreboard, right? And like, yeah. this is this has a scoreboard, positively and negatively. Like, yes, you know when you're doing well and you can point to it. You also know when you're not doing well. Yeah. And you have to have the kind of self-awareness to say, okay, what am I doing wrong and what can I do better? At least you know that you're not doing well, right? I think that's you just you just hit a, such a big point because if you think you're gonna have a successful 30, 40, 50 year sales career and always hit your number, you're so full of crap. And and I will tell you the people that post things about always hitting their goal and or even in an interview process, I'm like, it's just it's not true. Like you just like or you're or you're doing the job jumping thing, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna put two years in and then I crush it, I get a big goal and I'm out, right? Because I know I can't hit it next year. So I think you just you need to learn how to weather the storm, right? Like, hey, there's going to be tough years. I mean, we're hitting a tough economic part now. And I think you and I kind of went back and forth on LinkedIn. It's like everyone's facing that. But like people still have to buy stuff. Like, so you just you just need to like work a little bit harder and figure it out. But but I think uh, I think that's a really good point by you that. Yeah. So I'm excited to get your answer to this. We ask everybody this. So the way our program works, Jameis, is kids come through the training and then you know, we don't really have any exclusive partnerships. So they're usually doing multiple interviews, getting multiple offers. A lot, of, a lot today is around like, can I work remote? What's my base salary? <laughs> you know, things that yeah. like, can I work remote? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, don't get me, don't get me started. We could go on on that. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. But you know, it's like, you want to point these kids in the right direction of like the, the, the shit that does matter in your first, in yeah. your first job. Huh? How would you advise one of our one of our folks to choose a company, like how to choose a company to start their career at? I think, right, you said it good. Like those soft perks, like, come on, like your first job, like, do you really care if you get 
I don't know, a free gym membership and like, you know, soda for free in the lobby. Like I still, to this day, get those perks out of my face. Like I want to work. I want, I want to come home to my family. Like, but I think when, when you're evaluating companies, cause I mean, I still talk to plan. I mean, I've got a long tenure at one company, but it's like, I think the first thing is like leadership. I mean, I was an immature, not super, I like, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew Jimmy Mack, like, wasn't like, was a guy to follow. Right. Or like was, was the right guy. So I think for me, leadership is the first thing. Like, you can tell like that first interview is is a two-way interview right like ask the right questions right what kind of leaders are these people who are they look them up on linkedin or, or wherever else you can find if you're if you're just getting out there you want somebody that's been through it right that that knows how to do it um and i think the ability i know you talk about this a lot but like what is that trajectory right are there metrics in place that hey if i succeed for six months like what does success look like as a bdr and then what's that next step so why not ask the question of like what give like what is the timeline like if i'm doing all the right things give me that timeline yes. is it two years is it six months um there's no right or wrong answer but like you just want to know going into it and i think the worst thing would be the ambiguous like they don't have a structure in place right so you're just trying to figure it out so i think that and then i'm big on like five-year stretches even though i'm coming up on a 17-year stretch but like I don't know. Do you see yourself working at this company in five years? Are they still going to be in business, right? Are they selling like a, a niche product that really only works during COVID times, right? We saw this boom of software and SaaS companies. So I think leadership, the ability to move to those roles and what the timeline is. And then, you know, do you see this as a five-year process or or are you going to be jumping ship the minute you can? So, yep. Yep. Um, and I mean, interesting, you know, you... In today's day and age, um, you have a very rare career trajectory, Jameis, right? You've been selling at EMC and now Dell EMC for 16 years. Um, you stayed on through the merger, the biggest technology merger ever um, with Dell. What What is it like? What's it feel like to be at like one place for that long? I think, uh, I, and again, I, I see it as like, I've had people tell me like, be careful, like, because if you're there too long, people like at other companies are going to think, you know, like, like it's going to hurt you in the long run. And I just don't see it. Like, I, I, I don't see it at all. Like, I, I think EMC, I, I still think of myself as an EMC guy, right? Yep. I just, I can't get that. That'll, that will never leave me. Like, I'm a Massachusetts guy. I'm a, I, I like, I am a, I'm an EMC guy. And I think, I'm so proud of that sales background. Like EMC was the pinnacle. And again, you talked about it too, like PTC, there's others, but EMC, like the Hannigan, Scannels, like just in Mizzou, like these people were incredible. But I just like every time like things happen, people tend to have knee jerk reactions. And that's just not me, right? Like, so that merger happened and tons of people jump ship, right? And I just, I was like, this could be good. Why not give it a year? And right. to be honest with you, that first year post-merger was by far the most money I ever made in my life. Yeah. Um, because, hey, they're trying to figure out comp plans. You know, I got a bunch of deals brewing. They're like, they didn't know how to goal people. You know, like they're trying to figure out. But also it felt for me like, a, it felt like a change, which was, was kind of a breath of fresh air. EMC, like incredible company, incredible technology. It was going to be hard to survive much longer in that space just selling storage, right? It was competitive. It was margin driven. We were seeing more consolidation. So 
Dell, that felt like a breath of fresh air for me for a little bit. And I think it just changed how I, all of a sudden I had 30 people that were kind of matrix, matrixing into me, right? I had a client specialist, a compute specialist, and it was like, okay, now I felt more like a leader, right? Where I'm, I am, I am setting account strategy for two large enterprise accounts doing 30 million in revenue. Like those numbers feel big and daunting. Um, but it was fun, man, doing gigantic deals. Like, I don't know. I like big deals still. I can't, uh, I I like the big numbers. It's, uh, it it gets, it it gets me excited. I still winning deals. There's nothing better than it. So I I think just for me, I just, it's, it's not like, it's not a, it's somewhat loyalty, but it's also just, I haven't, there's nothing. I enjoy it. I still like what I'm doing. And when I'm ready, I'll, I'll leave on my own terms. Right. Yeah. So and 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 I've been tempted. Everybody, all the SaaS we've taught software, like, but it's just yeah, it hasn't gotten bad, you know. So it's it's funny, like you say the EMC thing. Like I obviously didn't. I I did an internship there, but my my career really started as an EMC reseller. But I consider myself an EMC guy. Yeah, like, and I you were every time I talk to people, that's how I t- I start my story. But like, yeah, I sold EMC. You know, like that's. That's that's who I am. It's it's why I'm where I am. So I couldn't agree more um, with what you just said. And then you also like here, just like ICI was the pinnacle of a reseller at yep. the time. Like Jamie, I again, I don't want like Jamie. I just admired. Like I was in awe of how he could be so like just so inspiring. His energy is ridiculous. Yeah. Sometimes exhausting, right? <laughs> like as, you know, but like he like he could have the most technical conversation. And that's what intimidated me. I, I was never like, I'm, I was never going to be that like guy that could like dive real deep. Yeah. Right. And he could, man, like he, he could be an SC and then he could be a president of a company. And I'm like, how is this guy doing it? Like, but he, yeah. So, so he was awesome. But you guys like in the way, I mean, I saw it early in your career, right. Cause I was a little, I had probably a couple year head start. And just everyone was always like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a deal with JR. JR's in the office. I'm like, love it, man. My, my Marlboro buddy coming up and just like, I think Jimmy Max said it, like, of all the resellers, like, anybody could have come into Franklin and hung out. Like, you were the only one that did. And I, it's just a weird, yeah. a weird thought. But you cornered that market. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, awesome stuff. Paid, paid that electricity bill at Kohl's for many years. Um Perfect. I probably helped you cover that. No, not cover the tab. I helped you bring it up. Absolutely. Um, so like you, you've had like, like me, like phenomenal sales leadership and you've had a lot of managers, a lot of leaders. When you think about, um, some of the favorite leaders you've worked for, what, what are their traits that like really stick out to you the most giving? Cause this is something yeah. that our, our candidates can use to look for in their leadership. Yeah. And I think it's, I think JR, like as you go in your career, what's important changes, right? Or like, like for me now, I'm 16 years in, like we're in like an enterprise territory. I think my manager now is more about managing a gigantic billion dollar business almost. Right. right? And so for him, he wants reps that like can go do it and, you know, trust. I think early on in your career, it's okay to have a hands-on manager I, I hate the term and I can't stand micromanaging, right? Like, but like, I, I never liked that, right? Like when I look at through my career, it was the managers that trusted you, right? They hire you for a reason, right? So they, 
They want to trust that you know what you're doing, but they also have the ability to coach and teach, right? Like they've carried that bag before, um, they've been through it and they can do it. So um, from a bad leadership, like I can remember one manager always calling me and saying, where are you? That used to drive me absolutely bonkers because it's just like, all right, like where's, you know, I'm working. <laughs> I, got a, I got a number to hit. I got a mortgage to pay, right? Um, but it's those managers that don't ask those questions, but ask like, what can I do to help? Like, you know, like, do you need help on this deal? No, I think I got it. Great. Go get it done. Right. Or, Hey, like, let me run these numbers by you. Like, can you help me break this cost thing out? So I think trust and then the ability to coach and teach as opposed to a manager that it's their way or the highway. Totally. I, that's the worst. The worst is someone that will give you constructive feedback is important, but somebody that thinks they were a good sales rep so that makes them a good manager i've seen it fail many many times right it's that whole concept of like can wayne gretzky be a good hockey coach right like everything came so easy for him like how does he teach a fourth line grinder you know how to protect the puck in the corner so i think that's a big thing and um i think in this space like there's just so much opportunity that that people try to jump to leadership positions so quick that they're just not ready they're not mature enough they don't they don't have that trust and they and they're not confident because they kind of know they probably shouldn't be in that role right like that they kind of got gifted it or something like that so totally and and, yeah. and like you know the the analogy i've always heard is like even if someone's title is a manager it doesn't mean you're not a you don't manage you lead people right and like that's yeah. what you're talking about is like being a leader now obviously you you've you've been an individual contributor but you're still like even though you haven't gone the leadership track you're still a leader is there a reason mm -hmm. why you haven't taken the actual title of of a leader yet i i think it's the same thing right like I still like doing what I'm doing. Yeah. So I, you know, people have, I've been criticized, same, same thing with, hey, 16 years at one company, like, it's kind of weird, right? And I'm like, why is that weird? And nobody can answer why, right. but they just, you know, or it's the same thing, like, okay, you've been doing very well as a rep for 10, 12, 15 years, like, why not manage? And I'm like, well, I'm still only, I'm almost 40, but it's like, I got 20 something years left of, of being in this sales world. So, that's a long time. So until I feel like I'm kind of done with being this individual contributor, um, uh, and and to be honest with you, I can do a lot of the things I like about leadership. Like I can coach, I can mentor, but then I can go control my own destiny, my own calendar, my own. I can. I don't have to rely on other people to get to me my to get to my goal, right? But I can still go coach the new rep. I can still go down to Hopkinton and meet with a couple of BDRs. So. I've never been one to care that much about the title and the, the you know, the the being the boss type thing. Um, and I think people in sales can be, yeah, like I said, and I think also with Dell you have, or EMC, any of these bigger companies, I have two big accounts I cover with 30 specialty sellers that want a piece of it, right? And so they don't roll up to me, which makes it almost trickier than when someone does. But like you're managing these people totally. like that. You, you have to feed and everyone's different, right? The guy on my team that sells X has a different personality than the guy that's selling Y and their strengths are different. Like one guy, hey, he's great at prospecting, like go find me a deal, but you can't close it. I'll I'll be the one to close it. Right. So I don't know. So that that's really it. I I love coaching. Like I'd love to be a coach. I struggle with the other 
BS that comes with management, right. right? The spreadsheets, the sales force, the inspection. So I'm like, so until I'm ready to kind of take that on. Uh, and like I said, I think I got about 25 years left, maybe less if I can, if I can do a little bit better, but there's plenty of time to manage. Totally. Right? totally. And, and, and like you said, you're getting, you're, you're checking that mentorship box and yeah. like, you know, obviously one of the reasons I started my company, Jameis, is because of what my mentors gave to me. I want to give that to as yeah. many people as I can, right? I, I get to talk to, you know, 20 to 50 kids a week. Um, awesome. It's amazing. But like I, whenever I'm doing it, I'm getting out a lot out of it. But I'm always thinking of like my my mentors. Who were like some of your like early sales mentors that, that had a huge impact on you? So the easy one right out the bat is Jimmy Mack, right? Totally. Again, so like, and, and he's someone like, and I listened to that podcast and it just brought back, I was like, holy crap. Like, you know what? Like, freaking love the guy. Like, are you kidding me? Like, like he was the guy that like, you just, I just go into work. I could go sit in his office, talk about hockey, like just funny, like, but smart as can be, like knew what he was doing. And I think in those early days, EMC Inside Sales, you had Ed Philippine, who was, he was good at what he was doing, man. He's been crushing it. But it was kind of like, if you ever played on a team, like the coach and the assistant coach, right? Like Jimmy Mack was the guy you could go joke around with in his office, like give you great freaking one-liners and quotes. I mean, they're, they're all still out there. Um, merchants of change. I mean, I, that, I, we used to, that, that was always a thing there. So um, he was a big one. And I, I mentioned Ed because like he built, he, he was there building EMC inside sales and he had a presence about him and he was, I wouldn't say intimidating, but like, he just had that presence. Like when you were doing QBRs, like don't mess up cause Ed's coming in. Right. It was a really good way to learn. Jamie Shepard, like just the way he was able to run a company, be technical, be so freaking helpful. Like again, you're a Marlboro guy. He gravitated towards me as a person. Like we played hockey together. Just a funny guy, so good, always looking out for me. Um, and then as I progressed into like the world, I found a guy named Tom Heiser. So I don't yeah. know if you know, know that name. Yeah. And, and he is incredible. Like, so he's the one guy that I was able to kind of develop that for no reason other than like he's a mentor, right? Jimmy Mack was my boss. There, other people were bosses. My mother cut his wife's hair and his hair, right? Like, so that's the small world thing, right? And I remember her being like, hey, do you know Tom Heiser? And I didn't, right? I'm like, uh, like I just started at EMC. There's all these people here. And then I remember looking him up and being like, oh boy, like nice. <laughs> and so I sent him an email and I said like, hey, like, can I meet you? Like, I don't, and again, nobody was coaching me because I didn't even want to tell like my bosses I was going to meet Tom Heiser. So I'm just like, so I don't even know what my email said, but he said, yeah. And so for probably the five, six year stretch at EMC, I would go see him like monthly, quarterly, whatever it was. And we would just shoot the crap. Like there was no agenda, but it just helped me kind of feel like I had somebody with power that had my back because I wasn't a scandal or a handling or like, I didn't have that pedigree of yeah. like a family there. So, so Tom Heiser was really the one and he's still the one I could go three years without reaching out to, which is not a good thing, but like whatever it happens, but then I could send him a text tomorrow and he'd grab the phone and give me like just the most sound, like unbiased advice, right? Like, like that's what you need is somebody that can kind of step back like and help you with that. And then I think, 
the only other people that for me I'd mention is like my early days in the Newton sales office at EMC, like I'm coming out of inside sales. It's very intimidating going into Newton, right? There's all these like guys that have been there forever. It's like, you know, you're kind of like, I had to get a new haircut. I had to go buy suits. You know, I think I went to Joseph A. Bank for like the buy six, you know, buy, buy two baggy suits, get 22 free. I had like the worst suits that I remember. I had, I remember Kevin Scannell telling me I had to get a new haircut because I think I had like the spiky short, you know, hair. And he's like, dude, if you're, if I'm hiring you, you need a new haircut. So I like did this like comb over. I was <laughs> trying to look older, man. Like yeah. I'm going to sell to these people. I'm only 27, 20, whatever it was then. I'm like, I got to look older. But so like for me, those first people within that Newton office. So like Mike Mazzulli was my first boss, one of the best guys ever. Oh, like. Yeah. You talk about a manager that like built relationships and cared. Like he was at my wedding. He like is to this day a good friend. And like I'll tell you, like never once would he ever call me and say, "Hey, where are you?" Right? It was like you know, it was that that to me. I'm like, oh, like that's you never think about that, but that question alone can really drive you nuts. And then Tom Hannigan, like that name. I mean, he's a legend. He's absolutely incredible. He's crushing it at Service Now. I love to see that. Yep. Um, and he was, he was awesome. He was like an area manager. And then from him, it went, Mizzou, you know, Missouli was my boss, Hannigan. And then we had Kevin Scannell, right? And like, what a great group of leaders in that first few years. And like, I'd go into Kevin's office, same thing, like intimidating, like just cause you, you know, you hear his name, he's Bill, you know, Billy's running the company. You got Kevin and he was awesome. Like, and to this day, he's crushing it at Lydonia. I still very close with him. He comes to the golf tournament and these are people that I can still reach out to and look to for advice. So that office was loaded with superstars. I mean, even on the enterprise side, I mean, I, I can go, I could name a hundred other people, the Scordinos, Headstrom's like, but, but yeah, the, the commercial side and they were just building out commercial. So like Hanny, Scannell, they were crushing it. So, yeah. So, um, and by the way, Jameis, like all those, those, those guys are the reasons why I'm proud to say I'm an EMC guy, right? Like yeah. That, those are, that's, the, that's the DNA. Um, so I want to talk about Soapy Soap, right? Can you, can you tell us a little bit about the organization? Um, and, you know, you've already hit on the fact that your day job has helped you in starting and running a yep. profit, but I, I really want our audience to hear about Soapy Soap. It's something that you know, it's close to my heart. I, I'm, 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 I'm a big supporter and, you know, I want to, I want to get the, the word out. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So again, this could be a 45 minute explanation. You got to know your audience, right? So we're, we're keep this very high level, right? But Sophie, my daughter, Sophie, she's our second daughter. So I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old. Sophie was diagnosed with an ultra rare disease called glycogen storage disease, type 1B. So we're talking about one in a million. Um, she didn't get diagnosed till she was almost two. That was in 2019. And then just, you know, the more I started researching, looking things up, there was nothing, there was no organization dedicated to, to this disease, right? So um, I just refused. I knew nothing about the science, the genetics. I knew nothing. I, you could have told me there was zero chance that she gets cured, but it wasn't going to stop me. Like, so I, I guess it was good that I was so fresh in this and I just, I had it in my mind. I was like, I'm going to start a 501c3. I'm going to raise money. So we started Sophie's Hope Foundation in 2020. So literally like the pa I put the paperwork in probably three months after she was diagnosed, takes a little while, got our 501c3 status. 
and we have morphed like we have gone from this little fundraising organization to a global patient advocacy organization and we are helping new patients we're helping new families we are we are driving research in this disease we are we are driving towards a cure and it's like yeah we we're uh we are making big impact we'll probably hit a million dollars raised by the end of this year which would be under three years um and it's all for us it's all about just helping i mean selfishly it's to cure my daughter right sophie but like now it's that mission is like i want i want to cure every one of these kids right like nobody deserves a genetic disease it's not their fault um i don't like to see my daughter struggle i don't like to see health challenges i don't like to so my thing is i just i know we can make a difference and i think for me i was very discouraged early on that i didn't have a scientific background and you know my buddy joe barbario he was kind of my crutch early he's like my science guy right yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was, he's like, you're at, you know, when you were a first sales rep, yeah. you had your SC, you'd say like, hi, I'm Jameis, you know, I'll let my SC take it away. That's yeah. how I felt with Joe. Yeah. But, but long story short there, like the, the ability to, to control a sales campaign, just, it works everywhere. So we're doing it now. I, I pitch our disease to companies, right. To say, here's why you should help us develop a cure. And we're making progress. We have two we have a cure and develop early development. We've got, you know, mRNA treatment we're working on. So, um, so yeah, so Sophie's Hope Foundation, it's, you know, of course I have my day job and it matters because I got to pay the bills and I got to do that. But there is nothing that means more to me than my family, my daughters, and like, you know, that passion to fix what's wrong with her. And I know we can do it. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the background there. Yeah. We'll, we'll put the link to the website in the show notes. Um, and, and, uh, throw a picture of Sophie in the blog because you, you can't see her face and not want to help her. Yeah. She's a cute, yeah. cute no, she's, girl. She's the best. And we love, like you guys have been awesome, the whole Butler family. So we do our big golf tournament. I think we run probably the biggest charity golf tournament. I mean, maybe in North America. I mean, so like, I, I don't know what the metrics are, but it's turned into just an incredible thing. And I think that goes to show the importance of a network, right? Totally. Like, I can't more people come that I used to work with and say, how do I get involved? I don't have to do outreach anymore. Yep. Right. Like, so it's, it's incredible. So yeah, thanks. Absolutely. So last question, Jameis, I ask everybody this question. Um, my dad used to say to us, like, Hey, a lot of people play hockey. There's not a lot of hockey players. Mm -hmm. This idea of being a professional and with salespeople, I think the highest praise you can give someone is saying, Hey, this, this guy, this girl, they're a pro. What does that mean to you in sales? I think it means a lot in life too, not just sales. But I think for me, being a pro is, uh, I think accountability is the best, like the, the most, it's a broad term, but I think just being accountable, right? Like if you're in sales, right? Like don't be in sales if you're not accountable to, to what you're supposed to do, right? Like my, my goal, I have a goal of revenue. I get paid to do that. So, you know, you shouldn't have to check in on me, right? So, and that goes for resources on my team or, or an inside rep, like just be accountable for your actions. You know, what are you doing? You know, are if you're working from home now, are you spending four hours playing video games or are you grinding out, making those calls like when nobody's watching? And I think 
I don't know if it was the Fahey conversation or what, but like, what are you doing behind closed doors, right? Is it always, are you always putting on a show when everyone's watching, right? Like there's nobody worse than that. So I, I love accountability. I love people that are reliable that just get stuff done. Yep. That's that's really it for me. I love it. Okay, accountability yeah. is one of our core values at, at my company now that when I built them this year and I can't agree more. That's like so critical. Well, well said, Jameis. Dude. Thank you so much. We got we got another required listening episode for our candidates. I, I really appreciate you giving us some time, Jameis. Thank you. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing, JR. It's one of those things where when you did it, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Why hasn't anybody else thought of this? So you're gonna you're hopefully transforming these sellers and making them like making these companies better. Cause cause I do agree. Athletes can make great salespeople, but your coaching will be the difference. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.